All right, everyone, I'd like to extend a warm welcome to each of you here. My name is Dan, and I'll be your MC for today. This talk is hosted by the UWA Christian Union and is the first of our five-part Why series. Now, over each of these talks, we'll be looking at five big questions surrounding God and Christianity. Today, we'll be looking closely into the question of why should we bother with God if we're happy? Joining us today is our speaker, Jordan Fire. Jordan, if you'd like to come to the front, we'll take a moment to get to know a bit more about you. As a brief background for everyone, Jordan has studied theology and apologetics locally in Australia as well as internationally at Oxford in the UK. He's spent a lot of time thinking about how to answer people's big questions about God and about life. Jordan, thanks for coming here today. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right, no worries. Now, if you want, actually, could we just work off this mic just because sure. it's going to be a bit too much feedback? That's all right. Now, so you've been internationally, you've gone, studied different countries, but yep. where do you call home? Yeah, still call Australia home, much like the Qantas ad, uh, but yeah, I uh, love Perth. Um, it's definitely my favourite place to be, without a doubt. Yep. Wonderful. Now, what is it about living in Perth that is keeping you here? Yeah, I- Contrary to the past few weeks, I think we have great weather in Perth, and I really love the outdoors. Um, I love having space. I was just in Manila a few weeks ago, so genuinely I think our, like, our road infrastructure here is quite something to praise God for <laughs> after you've been in a mega city. So yeah, I love the layout of the city. I love being outdoors. Um, I grew up with three brothers, and so the outdoors was an escape from getting beat up, but also it was just a, you know, it was a good place to be in the Perth Hills. So, um, yeah, I love mountain bike riding and running, and I just got a little puppy, so he's a Kelpie, so I'm outdoors like morning and afternoon, otherwise he just starts destroying stuff, and my wife's not a fan of him continually pulling her socks off the line and going to town on them, so yeah. <laughs> All right, so you've mentioned this, you know, you've got a, quite a lot of enjoyable things you do in your life. You might even go so far to say you've got quite a happy life. Yeah. Obviously, though, you're here today to explain to us why this happy life isn't distinct from God, but there is a relation between those two. Yeah. Now, this big question we're going to be looking at of why should we bother with God if yep. we are happy, yep. when did that question first become real for you? Uh, I think it becomes real for me, and probably anyone starts to analyse their worldview when they hit a bit of a bump in the road and they realise that uh, life is filled with uh, uh, trials and hardships, and so you're forced, I think, to think through uh, what is the meaning and purpose of my life rather than just kind of experiencing momentary happiness, because that can be taken away from you very quickly. Um, If you put all your eggs in one basket... um, on something like family, um, it, it can be uh, very easily uh, crushed. So I don't think that as Christians, I don't want to go too much into the talk, but I don't think as Christians we're kind of just uh, opting for it because it makes us feel better. I think there's lots of good reasons, but I do think that um, you need a thick or a rich uh, worldview to incorporate every experience in life more than just happiness. So happiness is great if it comes by you know happenstance, I mean, but root of the word comes from that, but yeah, I think we need more than just happiness. Alright, well thank you for sharing a bit of insight into your life and what's brought you here today. Before Jordan comes to speak, just want to let everyone know that there will be time for a Q&A afterwards, so don't feel that you have to rush off. Uh, write down any questions you might have and you'll have a chance to present them to him. Please join as we hear from Jordan now. Thank you. Alright, I'll, I'll stand over here, so hopefully... 
Uh, you can hear me all right? Is that, is that okay? All right, well, uh, let's get started. Uh, just a fun fact uh, for some of you out there that, that uh, might help. I broke a 10-year friend zone with my now wife before we started going out. So if, the, if there are any of you stuck in that dark, dark place, uh, come and chat to me afterwards. Now, now, contrary to what that opener might make you think, I'm not an expert on happiness Uh, But I would like to share with you some of the things that have helped me as I uh, thought through this topic and some of um, my experience of of coming to know Jesus and uh, what that means for life. Uh, Now, maybe you're here today, I'm not sure of your background, and you feel the same way about Christians as you feel about vegans. They have nothing, but they want to share it with you. (laughs) I'm totally kidding. I'm totally kidding. All power to you vegans out there. I'm sure you've already made yourselves known. Uh, I do admire your discipline and conviction. Uh, But interestingly, the ancient Greek uh, philosopher Aristotle uh, originally observed and developed a bit of a theory of understanding life by uh, seeing that everything or everyone was motivated by the pursuit of happiness. And he would say that people don't just want to be happy, but that they will arrange their lives accordingly to this end. Uh, Blaise Pascal, uh, observing this phenomena, he was a child prodigy, mathematician, physicist, I had to study a lot of his stuff in chemical engineering. Uh, His inventions include the hydraulic press, the syringe, uh, even he was kind of the father of the calculator. Uh, And this scientist at age 31 had what he described as a profound encounter with the personal God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. So he's saying it's not just an idea, but a real personal being. And so he started writing theology and philosophy, and he even wrote on happiness, our topic for today. I'm not sure if the slides are working. Am I meant to be controlling this? Great. Oh, you want me to work it? Great, sorry. Here's this quote. Blaise Pascal said that all people seek happiness, this is without exception. Whatever different means they employ, they all tend to this end. The cause of some going to war and of others avoiding it is the same desire in both attended with different views. The will never takes the least step but to this object. This is the motive of every action of every person, even of those who hang themselves. And so as we're thinking about this topic of happiness and how fundamental it is to life, what are some common ways that most people try and find happiness? Well, probably the most common is through love and relationships. And so on the Christian worldview, this actually does make sense because we were made as relational beings. So just think of the song that was at the top of the Australian charts in 2016 by Lucas Graham. Not sure if you can think back that far. Uh, The song was called Seven Years Old. And the first line in the song was, My mama told me, go make yourself some friends or you'll be lonely. And he's tapping into this thing that I think we all feel, that we fear being alone. Uh, Stats are showing that uh, loneliness is on the increase uh, quite rapidly in Australia. And yet the question we've got to think through is, is it really possible for another person to bear the weight of our satisfaction and security in life? What's another common way that I think your average Aussie or average person really looks to fulfil their desire for happiness I think probably one of the most common is just material wealth or prosperity. Or maybe you're like, no, we know that being rich doesn't make you happy, but we're really good at deceiving ourselves. So we're like, oh, it's being comfortable that makes us happy. So you know that that like 100 million 
uh, View song on YouTube. I'm not sure if you've seen it. It's a country western song. It's like, I know money doesn't make you happy, but it can buy me a boat. It can buy me a truck to pull it. If you guys not seen, yeah, anyway, hilarious. If you want to just enjoy some ridiculous country music and kind of uh, laugh at, at that culture, but also it's quite catchy, um, then uh, yeah, enjoy that. But uh, this. This often leaves people feeling a bit exhausted and even let down when they, they do attain what they thought would deliver. So there's that famous quote from John D. Rockefeller, once interviewed by a reporter, asked that question, how much money is enough? You know, he built Standard Oil Company into the largest and most profit- profitable company in the world. And when asked how much money is enough, this richest man in the world replied, just a little bit more. Uh, it's a bit underwhelming, isn't it? Or it just put so well in words by this um, Twitter philosopher. Payday is mint. It allows me to live like a young Saudi prince for approximately 18 hours before I'm back in a dark hole of poverty. <laughs> and so people go, well, we know that maybe material wealth, prosperity won't do it. Uh, maybe relationships are probably a key to do it. And so people will riff on this and go, yep, yeah, well, clearly... What's really important is not necessarily that you find happiness, but that you keep living in the pursuit of it. So um, that kind of uh, famous uh, philosopher, kind of uh, activist, thinker, musician, John Lennon, said, when I was five years old, my mother always told me that happiness was the key to life. When I went to school, they asked me what I wanted to be when I grew up. I wrote down, happy. They told me I didn't understand the assignment, and I told them they didn't understand life. It's so, it's so ringy, isn't it? And it works so well on Facebook. Quite amazing for a five-year-old, really. Uh, but it is pretty obvious. I think kind of... I don't think this is really that contested. We are the most comfortable, entertained, well-fed and leisured people that have ever walked the face of the earth. And yet, we're not all actually happy. Uh, And so maybe one of the problems, or the problem we have today, is not that we have nothing to be thankful for, but we have no one to be thankful to. And now, uh, I was mostly a generation raised on Disney films, and how does every Disney film end? And they all lived happily ever after. And it feels like a fitting conclusion, right? Uh, But notice they do put that at the end of 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 the film quite strategically. Because we wouldn't actually feel a sense of satisfaction if we knew their happiness wasn't going to last. So, you know, if we found out that, you know, at the end of Beauty and the Beast, Belle and the Beast broke up after two years due to irreconcilable differences, it wouldn't really be that kind of satisfying a thing, would it? And so there is a sense in which I think we don't just desire happiness, we do have a desire for lasting happiness. And on the Christian worldview, that actually makes sense. God has, has made us... Uh, And the Bible even uses this phrase that he has placed eternity in our hearts. Uh, I was watching uh, a great film, if you're kind of into the superhero genre. This is a little bit alternative by M. Night Shyamalan, the film called Unbreakable. And Samuel L. Jackson's in there and he's speaking to Bruce Willis. Bruce Willis is kind of the hero. And Samuel L. Jackson says to Bruce Willis' character, do you know what the scariest thing is? To not know your place in this world. To not know why you're here. Uh, so John Templeton, thinking about life, he was a, uh, a bit of a philosopher, philanthropist. Uh, he, observing the world we live in, said this, Wouldn't it be strange 
If a universe without purpose accidentally created humans who are so obsessed with it? Have you ever asked yourself that question? What's your purpose? Why do you exist? You will functionally have something that you're using to answer that question. But I guess what I want us to think about together is can that actually bear the full weight of life? And so can you, I want to ask genuinely, do you think you can have meaning in life without God? Well, yes and no. And I believe a bigger no than yes. And I hope that's fair. I hope that we can chat more about that afterwards if if you don't agree. But the reason why I, I think that you can't is that the type of hope that you'll end up, ha- the type of meaning you'll end up having without God, is less rational, it's less durable, and it's less satisfying. And so they're the three big ideas we're going to look at. So my first contention is that belief in God gives a more rational basis for meaning in life. And so why? Well, if God doesn't exist, then ultimately life does not have purpose. Uh, we are just here as a cosmic accident, meaning there was no intentionality. And so if you boil down atheism or naturalism to us being merely the product of a mindless, unguided process, uh, then there is no ultimate meaning or purpose, just temporary consciousness that will one day cease in the heat death of the universe. So whether we live like the best social justice warrior and really do make a positive contribution to our world, or we live like the worst, uh, most self-centred narcissist going... In a billion years or four billion years, as the stats may be predicting the heat death of the universe, it won't make difference. But the interesting thing is that people can't live happily without purpose or meaning on a day-to-day level. And so in the absence of an objective meaning, what philosophers and atheists will say, people like Stephen Jay Gould will say, look, this may seem a bit depressing at face value, but it's actually quite freeing. I think the opposite to Stephen Jay Gould. And so I think that what ends up happening is that people end up creating meaning. They don't discover a meaning for their life, they end up creating one. And so as we think about this topic of happiness, uh, interestingly, someone who's been a bit of a YouTube phenomena lately, and uh, not a Christian thinker, but got some insights, Jordan Peterson, uh, he made this interesting remark that he would rather have meaning than happiness. He would rather have meaning than happiness. It's a little bit of a false dichotomy, I know, because I think meaning is the richest kind of happiness. But uh, Viktor Frankl was a Jewish doctor and psychiatrist, and he endured years of unspeakable horrors in the death camps of uh, Auschwitz and I think Buchenwald in World War II. Oh, no, sorry, Dachau. And uh, afterwards, he was reflecting on the way that people behaved and making sense of life in light of the death camps, and he wrote this book, which is a worldwide bestseller, called Man's Search for Meaning. And in this book, he talked about the fact that he could see, under these terrible and horrendous circumstances, people responding in three ways. He said, first off, some people in the death camps, they just became evil. Uh, They just became evil and started collaborating with the enemy, and they they just went bad. He said other people uh, lost hope and uh, sometimes they literally curled up into a ball and just died. And then thirdly, he said that there were some people who stayed noble, brave and even self-sacrificing. 
And, he, and as he got out, he tried to figure out what it was. What was the reason for the different ways that people responded to this uh, insane suffering and evil? And he figured out that it had to actually, it all came down to what their meaning in life was. He says that if you have a meaning in life that the death, can't, the death camps can't take away from you, now think about that. If you have a meaning in life that the death can't, can't, can't take away from you, if your meaning is in your career, or it's in money, or it's in family, or in some political cause, or even in your looks, if your meaning in life is anything that the death camps can take away from you, he said you'll either become evil or you'll shrivel up and die. And so he discovered that the people who were able to keep with it were generally people who had some kind of transcendent, uncreated, immaterial meaning in life. And so he said in most cases it was uh, traditional religion. He even saw some go back to their uh, Jewish roots. Uh, but he saw one guy whose way of dealing with it was to say, my wife is in heaven and she's looking down on me and I want to make her proud and this is my meaning in life. And so having that kind of a transcendent reference point made it possible for him to survive the death camps. And as I think through that, I think, oh man, could I? Would I have a thick enough meaning? And so can created meaning that you come up with for yourself, can that be sufficient? Well, again, I think it's both yes and no. I think a bigger no than yes. And for a number of reasons, created meaning isn't rational. The universe is not uh, has no purpose or meaning, so in one sense you're just coming up with it pragmatically. But it's not durable, and I don't think it's satisfying. And so, commenting on this book, Man's Search for Meaning, the American Psychological Association uh, wrote that Dr. Frankel's message is unconditional faith in an unconditional meaning. Now just stop and think about that. Unconditional faith in an unconditional meaning. You don't get unconditional meaning from naturalism. So, at least be prepared to admit, if you're an atheist or a a naturalist here, that your reasons for wanting life to be meaningful isn't rational, it's pragmatic. I would would argue that you actually hold that idea by faith, as Viktor Frankl says. You hold it by faith that life is unconditionally meaningful, but you've got no way to prove it, you've got no rational foundation for that. But you see, on the Christian worldview, we actually, when we do go through suffering, we don't kind of just go, well, how can I pragmatically deal with what I'm going through? You actually go deeper into rationality and you stop and think and you go, actually, there's a God who created me and wanted me to exist and loves me and life has a deeper purpose than me. Do you see how you get more rational when you deal with life in the Christian worldview and think deeper rather than just going, what's going to work for me pragmatically? And so my point is that you will struggle to endure suffering without a deep or a thick or a rich meaning. In fact, I would suggest that simply living for happiness is just not rich enough to sustain you through the hardships that life will throw at you. You can endure almost anything if you have a thick enough meaning behind you. Now, now people do just dismiss Christianity quite off-cuff because they believe it's a bit of a spent force. We've kind of been there, tried that, got the T-shirt. But really, if you look into it, I think there's a bit more clout than you'll realise. And so, don't you see that the things that we often try and find meaning and purpose with in life are often dependent things, they're things that could be taken away. And so, reflecting on this, Viktor Frankl also said, quoting Nietzsche, 
atheist German philosopher that he who has a why to live can bear with any how. So funnily enough, Frankl also commented on happiness and he said the pursuit of happiness actually undermines happiness. He, he, his point being that happiness is actually a byproduct, it's not the substance. Uh, I work a, as a pastor for our local church as well. Uh, and about a week ago, a 12-year-old girl in our congregation was at Bounce for her little sister's birthday party. She was on the trampolines doing some flips that she'd done a thousand times before and ended up landing really badly and breaking her ankle in a, in a really bad way. Uh, she required surgery. Uh, she's been away from school at home, laid up for the past four weeks. She'd been training for at least the past year for a ballet grading, and she was devastated to hear from this surgeon that not going to be able to properly walk for six months. And uh, when that happens, when circumstances happen that kind of crush your happiness, where do you turn? And when I dropped in to see their family, I was quite surprised uh, to see how, how well they were doing because they could take comfort in that situation by knowing that actually God could use a terrible situation. I'm not saying it's a good situation. He could use a terrible situation for good purposes. That actually that suffering doesn't have to be meaningless. And so the Christian deals with suffering and struggle in life through actually rationalising and thinking deeper and knowing that God intentionally created us, loves us, and sent his son into this world so that we could both know him and be made right with him. There's big errors when you only focus on one of those elements in Jesus' work. He doesn't just tell us what God's like. He didn't just come as an educator. He came as a saviour. He, he was on a rescue mission. And so there's way more to unpack about that. Uh, but I hope you'll be able to keep thinking about that over the rest of this week. And so how does a naturalist pragmatically process a lack of meaning and suffering? Well... Uh, it's kind of, uh, there's kind of two laws now when you're kind of doing a talk, people thinking about life. You kind of have to quote C.S. Lewis and Richard Dawkins, so let's get that out of the way. Here's Richard Dawkins. He says, The universe we observe has precisely the properties we should expect if there was at bottom no design, no purpose, no evil and no good. Nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. Now, I just think that fails to work. In our experience, uh, as we as we work through life, philosopher James Sire says that we need completeness, correspondence, uh, livability, and I should write this down. Uh, comprehensiveness, and I actually find that quite dissatisfying. And do you think that our longing that we experience as people could be a clue? that life actually does have a meaning and purpose. And that was something that I really wrestled with when I was 18. I just got to uni. Uh, I was kind of free to start living as I saw fit morally and had to really think through, why am I a Christian or why should I not be agnostic and atheist? Or my friends over there are really genuine, lovely people. They've come from an Islamic background. Am I just Christian because I was born into this situation? And so I had to really examine our worldview. And I think that... Part of the thing that Christianity has going for it is that it has a rational and a durable basis for our search for meaning in life. And so uh, that's my point. Uh, first point is that it's rational, that it's also uh, durable. And then lastly, I think that we discover that meaning in life, went on uh, the Christian worldview, uh, 
Jesus also speaks about it as being uh, satisfying. And so he has a conversation on true satisfaction with a Samaritan woman in the fourth chapter of John's Gospel. And he's gone there to get a drink at this uh, well and he strikes up a conversation with this lady and she's kind of taken aback that he would speak to her. And uh, uh, she says, uh, kind of, why, uh, why are you speaking to me as a, as a Jew? And then it kind of gets quite metaphorical quite quickly. And uh, he says this. Oh. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And there's this interesting conversation, and it's worth looking at if you do get a chance, that this uh, woman at the well uh, is looking for uh, satisfaction and significance in life. And uh, Jesus recognises this and, and graciously starts a conversation with her and tells her that the water that you drink from this well will not satisfy your thirst. You will soon be thirsty again. And so, uh, uh, as I said before, uh, it is a requirement to quote C.S. Lewis in one way or another. And so his take, a way of understanding this conversation Jesus is having with this woman, is that human history is the long, terrible story of man or humanity. He's writing in the 1950s, don't be upset, not being sexist. He says... Human history is a long, terrible story of people trying to find something other than God that will make them happy. Or, to quote the poet Lord Byron, he said, I've drank from every fountain of pleasure, and yet I'm dying from thirst. And so I think the reason why we should bother with God if we're happy is because we all need something more than happiness in life. We need more than happiness, and I think we also need more than created meaning. And Jesus talks about true satisfaction. And so, uh, in one sense, this isn't so much an argument uh, for Christianity as much as an argument to help you go, maybe I should look into this more, because what he's offering is something that all people crave and live for and desire. And so, it's worth checking out whether he's the real deal. And so, the woman at the well in John 4 had been pursuing happiness through pleasure and relationships that much that much comes clear in the story but there's a disconnect there because she's pursuing happiness through relationships and pleasure but meaning through a kind of religious association and Jesus says no no those things aren't actually disconnected God isn't just meant to make us secure like a kind of cosmic you know uh, comfort blanket but actually the very relationship with God that we have is what is satisfying and gives us our significance And so if we live our lives ignoring God and, as C.S. Lewis says, trying to find something other than God that will make us happy, we will be thirsty again. You might not experience it right now, but ultimately, Jesus says, anyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. And so maybe you're a Christian or you think you're a Christian or you call yourself a Christian. A way that this applies to us is if you're adding anything to Jesus as knowing him and having a relationship with him, as your requirement for being happy, then that's actually your real king. That's your real meaning. Uh, St. Augustine uh, famously uh, searched for meaning through excessive pleasures and false religion, philosophy, uh, and futilities that left him weary. 
And he said this pursuit went on and on and on. And he eventually found what he calls the object of his restless search. And he wrote in the 4th century AD, God, you have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. And that's what, where I kind of want to finish thinking about this topic. In Jesus' conversation with this woman, he says, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Everyone who drinks this water, trying to find your significance and satisfaction apart from the God who created you, will be thirsty again. And so what's, I think, striking about Jesus is he wasn't just someone who had good ideas. He actually demonstrated his ability to meet our need. And so he healed the sick, he fed the hungry, he had compassion on the broken, and he demonstrated what the kingdom of God would be like. And he's showing us that it's not just a set of psychological kind of uh, therapies, but this is real solution. This is a real solution to real problems. And the big problem in our world is its alienation from God. There is never going to be paradise or utopia on earth without God, as we were made for him and to live with him. So any life without God is actually a half-life. It's an impoverished existence because it lacks the ability to give us a deep meaning and purpose in the here and now, and it's devastatingly short-sighted. It's finite without God. And so you see, on the Christian framework, this life is not all that there is. And this was one of the things that Jesus' resurrection from the, from the dead actually proved, was that actually this, this world is not a closed system. There is a God who created it and interacts with our world. And so for some, this is really liberating because it means that what we do has significance, that it's not just going to end in the heat death of the universe. But this is also quite daunting because when Jesus rose from the dead, the apostles' understanding of it was that that means that God's now going to judge the world with this man who has risen from the dead, by this man who's risen from the dead. And so judgment on the one hand is a daunting thing, but on the other it's, it's the most exciting thing because judgment says that what you do matters. And so God's judgment, far from being just scary, it's actually good news for the world. God will put things right, and what you do matters. And so Jesus is God's answer to humanity's need. He says that true satisfaction is found in true worship. He says God is spirit, and his worshippers must worship him in spirit and in truth. Now that word worship, I know it gets bandied around a lot, and that might not make sense to you. So it's definitely worth looking into, what does Jesus mean by that? What does it mean to worship God in spirit and in truth? Uh, I used to do uh, triathlons uh, a number of years ago before I got married and uh, life was too full to kind of uh, stay, I guess, obsessed. I think triathlons is just way too time-consuming if you've got uh, a busy schedule. Anyway, uh, but after four hours of swimming, biking, running, one of the drinks they offer you at the end of the triathlon on the run course is flat coke. Now, they give you flat coke because uh, the sugar is a fast energy kick and also this caffeine is a great uh, you know, um, fix as well. 
And so just imagine that as I'm running at the end of this triathlon, and when you're running past an aid station, you're not really stopping and going, you're not looking carefully at things. The volunteers hand you cups and you just put it down, and they've defizzed the coke beforehand. And so, well, they should have. Some races they haven't, and it wrecks you. But just imagine if I'm running along, and they handed me Diet Coke. Now, I would maybe be fooled early on to think that uh, this was going to quench my thirst, it was going to give me the energy that I would need, but I'd eventually crash and run out of energy, because it's actually not able to nourish and sustain me. And in the same way, people trying to quench their thirst for... I think only the thing that a relationship with God can satisfy, trying to quench that thirst with things like money, uh, the approval of people, uh, sex or pleasure, is like trying to run a marathon at the end of a triathlon off Diet Coke. It might fool you when you drink it, but it ultimately won't satisfy. And so when we experience the true relationship with God that only Jesus Uh, can give us, we can know true meaning and satisfaction. And it's not just good for us, it actually uh, continues on to eternal life and it gives us the ability to then love and serve others. And so I guess what I'm wanting to do is to give you a reason uh, why you should want to explore Christianity further, uh, why you may want it to be true and that you may end up uh, being a bit like this Samaritan woman who said, give me some of this living water. And so the reason why we need to bother with God if we're happy is because we need more than happiness in life. And I've argued that we need meaning, purpose and satisfaction, uh, that the Christian worldview provides that uh, in a rational way, that it's durable and that it's satisfying. And so uh, you may uh, disagree that uh, happiness isn't enough. You might think that you're perfectly satisfied now. Uh, And that's okay. We can can disagree and we can talk more on that. So please do keep coming back to the events this week, uh, talking more. And I do hope reading something like John's Gospel, because God doesn't give us watertight arguments, but he gives us a watertight person. And I think if you get a look at Jesus, you'll see that he's someone who gives satisfying answers to life's deepest questions. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Jordan, for sharing with us. If you'd like to, or you can stay up for now, we've got a time for question and answers. So if you haven't had a chance to, turn to the person next to you for the next 30 seconds, introduce yourself, and also share what questions you have both come up with for this, and then we'll gather you again later.
All right, now you'll have a chance to be able to present your questions to Jordan. Uh, this is where we'll do it, is if you have a question, you can just raise your hand and I'll call on you and then you can say your question just from where you are. So, any questions? And 
how do those things work together? It's one of those things that the Bible kind of says, well, you're still responsible, uh, but God is still actively involved in, to quote the Apostle Paul, he says, he determines the exact time and place where each person should live so that they can reach out for him and find him because he's not being far from any of us. So there's this sense in which um, coming to know God, uh, and I do apologise, it's not just a matter of kind of having a good philosophical framework and set of ideas, uh, it's actually coming to uh, knowing and experiencing him in a personal way. Does that kind of help um, flesh that out a bit more? Islam is not about knowing God. 
so that a lot of people will say, well, all religions are, are basically the same, they all get to God anyway. That's phenomenally ignorant and naive because no other worldviews actually have a personal relationship with God as their God. Islam's not about God, it's not about knowing a lot. Islam is about paradox. And so uh, there's, there's no assurances in the Quran that we will actually have a kind of close personal relationship with God, a knowledge of God. Uh, that line is actually something unique to, to Christianity. Uh, and so, yeah, I think that that's why I was saying Jesus doesn't just tell us about God, he deals with the roadblocks that we have. And, uh, and that's something I hope we can talk about more this week, is that there are roadblocks. And uh, it's figuring out what are, what are those things that are blocking us and then how does Jesus deal with them. And this is why the cross is so important for Christians. It wasn't just a demonstration of God's love. There was something uh, real happening there, not just God's plan how much he loved us, but, but dealing with the devastating consequences that sin has left on our world and on us. So, um, yeah, I, I, does that answer your question? Yeah. I'm just checking out. Yeah, I that is unfortunately all the time we'll have for questions and answers at the moment. Uh, thank you again, Jordan, for speaking with us today. Before everyone leaves, I'd like to draw your attention to... Sorry, yeah. Round of applause. Yeah.